right. You ready for the Word of God? Yes, sir. All right. All right, the book of Galatians. We are in chapter 1, verse 1 is a good place to start. We'll go through the first four, four verses because we're going to do some intro to this as well. So let's read Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle not for men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and our Father. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, thank you so much for the word of God that is filled with the nutrients we need as Christians. Lord, we're going to receive it today and be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. So I walk away hearing from you. We thank you. Only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's talk about the entrance, the, the introduction to this book. Let's talk about the author of the book. You don't have to read very far into the book to figure out in the first verse. It says, Paul, called to be an apostle. So Paul wrote this book. It was his first book. He wrote this around AD 49. This is right after his first missionary journey, so pretty new in the ministry. And so this is the first time he's facing a problem that will occur in other churches. Everywhere he would start a church, he would leave. And then after he leaves, the enemy would sow false brethren, false teachers would come in right after him and so crosswise to the grace message. And so Paul, this is the first time that's happened to Paul. Paul's surprised by it. He's angered by it. And he's going to be angry in this book. He's going to be pounding the, his table at this because he's so angry at the Judaizers, these false teachers that came in teaching legalism to the church, trying to pull them out of the grace of God into legalism. And so he's new and surprised by this. But later on, he'll figure out that's the pattern the enemy will do in his ministry. And so this was written by Paul around early about uh, 49 A.D., and the purpose of the writing was the churches of Galatia, the ones in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. those are the ones he established. And they were heathen. They were Gentiles. And so they came out of heathendom into the grace message. Right after he left, some Jews that had accepted Messiah or said they accepted Messiah, believed he was the Messiah, came and said, well, yes, Jesus is important. Yes, you need him as Messiah, but that's not enough. In order to be saved, you have to be circumcised. And so, well, you know, and then you have to keep the feasts and the Sabbath days, and you have, there's certain rules. Not all 613 commandments. No legalist actually tries to put all 613 on people today. They just pick their top 10. They pick the ones that they want to, they can keep or they preach that should be kept. And so they preached them and was bringing them into bondage. So Paul in anger is writing back surprised and shocked at how quickly they turned from the grace message into legalism from one gospel into one that's not another gospel but was proclaimed to be. And so Paul's writing it to them trying to uh, assuage what was happening. So let's get into the book. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 1 again says, Paul an apostle. Not for men, through, but, uh, nor through men, I'm sorry, not for men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Let's start off with the word Paul. We're going word by word, it seems, but let's look up the word Paul. Paul means little. Who was Paul named, uh, what was Paul's name before? Saul. 
Saul. Who was he named after? King Saul. And king, the word Saul means desired. Saul was the very thing Israel desired in a king. The tallest, the handsomest, the ones that were full of it, like some people think they are today. And so they, uh, that, that Saul was named after him, and he was just like him. Saul of Tarsus was an extremely proud man, proud of his accomplishments, full of himself, big in himself. And then he met Jesus. And actually in the ministry, it took a little while for him to get a revelation that in himself he's nothing. That in Christ, through Christ, he can do great things. And so Paul had to learn that over his lifetime. And even in the beginning of his ministry, he still was learning that. And so he was still called Saul at the beginning of his ministry. And he was serving under Barnabas. Barnabas actually found Paul, or Saul, took him under his wing, brought him to Antioch, and he just served as a teacher in the church under Barnabas as pastor of the church. And then God calls him to go on the missionary journey, and Barnabas is the leader in the book of Acts. When they start out in the first missionary journey, it's Paul and it's Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, until there was a time where there was an evil magician that was trying to keep a ruler from hearing the gospel, and Paul said, you will be blind for a season. A mist came over his eyes. And uh, a miracle took place and the guy got saved, the ruler got saved. And afterwards, it, his name was changed to Paul. And then right after that, whenever you see them, it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. What took place is that when his name got changed, that's when he realized for the first time that I'm nothing in myself and I have to become little. That Christ can live big. And when, you're, when you realize you're nothing in yourself, so Jesus can be everything, that's when you're ready for leadership. And he took over the leadership there. And so it says Paul called to be an apostle. Look at the word apostle. It means a sent one, one with orders, one with authority and a message and a mission. That's what an apostle is. We get the Greek word apostolos is where we get the word apostle. It just brings it over into English. And so again, it's a sent one. And so it's important that it's not just apostles, but we as Christians need to be sent. And so tell someone, don't be a went one. We need to be a sent one. And so there's a lot of people that are appointing themselves, self-appointed, self-sent. No, we need to be sent because we need to have the message, understand our authority, and understand our mission. And so all of us as Christians... We're going to be sent ones, but let's talk about the office of an apostle. And so there are actually four categories, and I'm going to mention a fifth one, a general one, but four major categories of apostle found in the Word of God. And as we go, the first one has only one in, in that classification, and then as we go, there are more that are going to be added to it. The first category of a New Testament apostle, there's only one in this category, it's the apostle. That's found in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. You can pop that up. And so this is Jesus Christ. It says he is the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He was the sent one from the Father to us to represent God to us on a mission with authority and a message, the gospel. And he accomplished his mission at the cross, his three-year ministry as, as an apostle. So he was the only one that could do that one. So the second level, second classification of apostle found in the word is the apostles of the Lamb. Those are 12 disciples of Jesus. And so Judas fell away. And so Peter in the upper room thought that, you know, we need to do something. You know, 
Jesus said, go into the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit. Did he say, go, go to the upper room and have a lottery? Well, we just need to do something here, so let's have a lottery on who replaces them. And Matthias is picked, but we never hear of that dude anymore. And so I personally, Rickyology, didn't believe that Matthias was the selection, that Paul was that, that selection. And so we're going to read kind of a clue in this section of Scripture why we would say that, but there's, that's Rickyology, you can't prove that. So I'm just throwing that out. When, when I can't prove something in the Word, I'll say it's Rickyology for you go examine it. There's some clues where I can take that from. But the second classification are the 12 apostles of, called the Apostles of the Lamb. The third classification is what's called foundational apostles. Foundational apostles. Well, where do you find that? Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 20. We're going to see that there are foundational apostles. And so we don't have them today. And so it says, having been built, the church having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Who are these apostles? The foundational apostles. These are the apostles that wrote the scriptures of the New Testament. They lay down the doctrine of the word of God. And so we have some of them are, are the apostles of the land. That's Peter, John. We have those. But then we have others that are not. Luke, Mark, James, Paul. Well, I, I think, I believe Paul is. But then Jude and certain ones were not apostles of the land. But they were foundational apostles that wrote scripture for the New Testament church. The fourth classification is what's called an equipping apostle. The equipping apostle, not whipping apostles. The equipping apostle, that's Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. And Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so we need, do we need teachers today? Do we need pastors today? Do we need evangelists today? Well, do we need prophets? Well, we need apostles. And so today we have New Testament apostles. They're in the earth today. There are many of them today in the body of Christ. And so we have those. But then on the fifth category, really, each one of us is a sent one. And so really, what is an apostle, an ambassador? We're all called ambassadors in the word of God. Look in 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 20. We're going to see each believer is called an ambassador. Now, I want you to introduce yourself to some, the person next to you and introduce yourself ambassador in your first name. What did an ambassador do? An ambassador represented the one who sent him with his message, his, his mandate, his mission. But the role of the ambassador was to set up an embassy. What is an embassy? An embassy is a small segment, a small kingdom that represents the kingdom they came from. And in the embassy, like the United States embassy overseas and like England or whatever, we have an embassy over there. And within the embassy, U.S. law is done there. It's not British law, it's U.S. law there. And it's funded from the home country and represents the home country perfectly. And so as ambassadors, we're called to set up an embassy. You know Jesus Christ as the apostle, the ambassador, he, wherever he went, he set up an embassy of the kingdom of God. And you know, within the embassy, the laws of the home country is what you go by. Guess what? What laws do we go by? Heaven's laws. Do you know it's outlawed to have sickness in heaven? You know it's outlawed to have poverty in heaven? 
You know, and gee, wherever Jesus went, he, sent up, he set up the embassy of the kingdom of God. And so whenever there was sickness, outlawed, healed. Everyone that came within his realm, healed. Whenever there was lackness, Jesus, all we got is three club crackers and a few sardines. <laughs> Good enough for me, prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. Multiplication, more than enough. That's when the embassy was set. Guess what? You're called to set up an embassy. Tell someone, set up an embassy. And so a fifth category, we're sent ones with authority and a message called the gospel. And so, but God, Paul never called himself the apostle Paul. He said Paul called to be an apostle. And so, again, in the word of God, we don't have titles in the word of God. We have functions. You have an unction to function somewhere. And so it's not about titles. So why don't you cancel that card that you just ordered, that set of cards that has apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, bishop, elf, and all the titles you want to throw on yourself. Throw them out the door. There's no apostle Paul. Literally, really, I, you know, I'm called Pastor Rick a lot. That's fine. I understand what you're saying. But really, technically, it's, pa- it's Rick called to be a pastor. Now, people started calling me. That was really long and awkward. So just stop. I understand what you're saying, right? He said, called to be an apostle not from men or through a man. So what's he saying? Paul was was not made an apostle through a commissioning body. There wasn't a commissioning body that, that, that called him to represent them. And so he says, it wasn't from any group of men was I called to be an apostle or from a man. Why would he go from men to a man? Because in the, in the ancient world, a legislating body, its will was done through one man. The Roman Senate, the will was done through the emperor. Through the Sanhedrin, the laws went through the high priest. And so he says, it wasn't a group, a legislative body that sent me. It wasn't a man representing them that sent me. Jesus Christ sent me. That's one of the clues that, that he was one of the apostles of the Lamb was he was directly sent and appointed to be an apostle. It wasn't through anybody else. And so it said after he got saved, he didn't confer with any believers. Matter of fact, he said in Galatians 4.25 that immediately he went into Arabia and mentioned something interesting here. He says Mount Sinai is in Arabia. Why would he say that? Because Paul, God, Jesus took Paul to to Arabia, to Mount Sinai, to teach him about the law. What did it really represent? What was the grace message found in it? And so he went to law school. He went to Messiah University, where Jesus was the only instructor, and taught him about the law, and taught him about New Testament grace and the the doctrines of the grace of God that we have in the church. And so... Again, we see that that wasn't through a man or, or for people. Matter of fact, Paul said that I got the revelation of the gospel through Jesus Christ directly. And so Paul said that he was not an apostle through a man, but through Jesus. who And God the Father who raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's the cornerstone of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you don't believe Jesus Christ physically died and that he was physically raised from the dead, you're not saved. He was physically, he didn't die, he didn't swoon on the cross, pass out, and get revived sometime in the cross, and then been waiting around to come back out. No, he died. And he was put in a tomb three days and three nights, and then God the Father raised his son from the dead. That's called the resurrection from the dead. 
And so there have been many people, there have been people in the past raised from the dead, but none having resurrection. Resurrection means you have a resurrection body. Jesus could walk through walls. We're going to have a glorified body one day just like Jesus's. That means we can walk through walls. We're going to come back during the millennium, and we're going to rule and reign here. This is training for reigning. I'm claiming Hawaii. And I, and I really just want to walk through a wall and freak someone out. And then here, stop it, Rick. Yes, sir. But notice it says, God the Father. Let's not just read right over this. This, in the New Testament, through what Jesus did, he made God our Father. The God of creation, the God of a billion, uh, uh, billions of galaxies with billions of stars in all of them, the mighty creator, the almighty God, has become our Father, my Father. What kind of relationship did you have with your Father? Well, how did you get to know your father? Through their words and actions. Unfortunately, many of you had fathers that their actions and words were destructive. But if you'll get to know your father through his words, and if you'll believe his words, and you'll see him time and time and time again, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful, developing a relationship with God, not only God, but your father. You need to put the microscope of the gospel over your heart. You know, so it's good to say God loves everyone. But it's another thing to put the, God, put the magnifying lens over your own heart. It says, no, God loves me. My father, God, God is my daddy. And my daddy loves me. Say, God, God loves, me. loves me. Have you let that sink into the bottom level of the basement of your soul? You close your eyes and you see Jesus walking up to you, what's the look on his face? For a lot of people, it's irritation, disappointment, anger. If it's not a smile and love, you have a wrong view. God is your father. And Paul brings this out, and we just read over it, but this is shocking in the New Testament time period when it's first being the gospel's first coming that God is your father. And so the gospel makes God our father, and but many see him as the Godfather. <laughs> Jesus Christ gave the ministry gift of the apostle that was in Paul's life as a gift to the church. When he says, I gave some apostles, the prophets, evangelists, it wasn't the people themselves, it was the ministry anointings within the people. You're not all that in a bag of chips, but that anointing that's from God, that's pretty special. And every one of you have an anointing and an unction to function and have an anointment for your appointment. And that's really special. And you have that in. That's been given as a gift. Jesus gives gifts to the body. You're a gift to the body of Christ. You have a gift that I need that I don't have. I have a gift you don't have. I have prophetic dance. <laughs> and I have it to offer for yous that don't have it. <laughs> Prophesy. <laughs> and the message is the end is near. <laughs> no. Jesus gives 
the anointing of the offices as gifts to the church. Now, God the Father sets the members in the body as he wishes. God the Father set Paul in the, as an apostle in the body of Christ, but then Jesus gave that anointing as a gift to the church. Jesus presents each of us as gifts. Let's go to verse 2. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Brethren, look at the word brethren, the Greek word adelphos, we get Philadelphia from this word. It means brethren, but it means, it denotes a fellowship of life based on an identity of origin. So if you have brothers that came out of the same womb, well, we're brothers and sisters because we came out of the same, we came from the same source, God our Father, birth through the gospel. And so now we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We came from the same origin in the spirit. And so we should have the unity and, and fellowship with that. And so why do I bring this out? Because Paul brings out that all the brethren who are with me, say with me, who are with me. See, Paul never traveled or worked alone in the ministry. He knew and practiced the power of a team. Uh, he wasn't like the prophet Elijah who worked alone, always wanted to be alone. He ended up in depression and no one to pull him out. Gave up on the ministry. No, Paul realized he always worked with a team, and he believed in a team, but that's what the grace of God does. You know the grace of God unifies? Why is that? Because we realize that the grace of God brings us into a righteousness that's not our own. It's the perfect righteousness of Jesus, and every one of us are equally righteous, equally holy. We're all equal at the cross, and that brings us into unity. Legalism always makes rivals because you're in competition and causes isolation from others. Um, matter of fact, I heard one famous Jewish rabbi in his writings said that out of all of the men of the earth, there's only two righteous men, me and my son. And if only one's righteous, it's me. He cut his son out. Legalism makes rivals and causes isolation. When we understand our righteousness is not our own, then we will not strive and compete with others. We can truly let down our mask and be who we really are in the Lord. And it brings us into fellowship because we're on the same team and we're all victors through Christ. And what happens when you have all the, the fans of a football team when they win? They, you're in the stadium. You don't know them. You don't know the person next to you, but all of a sudden your team wins the championship and you're screaming and hugging. You're, you don't even know who this is, but you're on the same team and the same victory. Welcome to Christianity. Amen. Church is about victors that come together and all can rejoice together. Amen. To the churches of Galatia, it's plural. There's one universal church, but there's local bodies of the universal church, in localities. And so there was a church in each city where Paul did it. And that was God's will from the very beginning. There'd be one church per city. But some cities got so big you needed more. And unfortunately, divisions happened, splits happened that was not of God. So we have many churches throughout, this, throughout our cities. But there are many churches, multiplicity of churches. And so Paul says, I'm writing this to the churches. So it was a circular letter. One church would get, this, they would read the gospel of the Galatians, or the, the letter of Galatians, they would copy it down, and they would send it on to the next church. So Galatians is a circular letter written to the region of Galatia. 
That's where Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe were that Paul had visited there and started churches there. And so he was ministering the gospel of grace to them. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we just read over this verse because you think, well, that's a nice greeting. Get on to what Paul had to say in the book. Unfortunately, when we do that, we do that to the detriment of our Christian experience. Because this verse is the most important verse in this book. Well, pastor, okay, you, okay, you can't say that. Yes, I can. Because this verse is repeated 16 times in the New Testament. It is the most used verse in the New Testament. And we just read right over it. And in it is the resources of the Christian walk. In the, is the resources of how we're going to live the Christian walk. Everything written from verse 4 on, how are we supposed to do it with the resources of verse 3? And so let's look at verse 3, unpack verse 3, and see the riches that are there for us as resources for the Christian walk. Verse 3 says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the word grace. If you're from, from Texas, it's charis. But it's the Greek word, it's pronounced charis in the Greek. But again, from Texas, you're charis. And grace, grace means, charise means unmerited favor. That's vertically, unmerited favor. Because none of us merit anything from God. If we got anything from God, it'd have to be based on our perfection. And none of us in ourselves are perfect. And so we came out of the womb flawed as sinners, born sinners. And so again, uh, if righteousness came by us, we would never have it. And so it's unmerited favor vertically from God, but horizontally to live it out, it's, cause, it's God's ability, it's God's power and strength to do what you couldn't possibly do in the natural. So what does grace to you mean? When you hear 16 times, grace to you, 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 grace to you. Uh, I think maybe you get through your thick skull, he's offered grace. It's there. Why are we begging for it? Because you don't feel that power. You don't feel that strength. Well, it's something that you believe first that's inside your spirit. You can't touch your spirit, feel your spirit. You have to look in the word, what's inside you, and realize it's there. you got to tap into it. You have all the grace you'll ever need to do anything God's called you to do. You have it. You have grace for it. And so you have grace to love. You have grace to give. You have grace to forgive. You have grace to live holy. You have grace for everything else you're called to do as a Christian. Tell someone you have grace for it. Often we're begging for something he's already given you. Grace to you. The, this former zealous legalistic Pharisee now used this word grace more than a hundred times in his writings. Compared to the 55 times all the other New Testament writers combined used it. This truly was the apostle of grace. Next it says in peace. Peace. The Greek word arene, E-I-R-E-N-E, arene, means to join. It means to, uh, literally pictures the binding or joining together of that which was separated or divided. The result is a setting at one again. And today, if you want a modern translation, it's having it all together. 
Ask someone, do you have it all together? I'm not talking on the outside. I'm talking about on the inside. Are you at peace? Are you at peace? Peace is always a byproduct of the grace of God, always. Trying to live towards God based on your own performance will cause nothing but unrest and anxiety. If you're left, if you're, I love Greg Moore's statement, if you've left peace, you've left grace. If you've left peace, you've left grace. Ask yourself, how peaceful have I been lately in my soul? Just how peaceful have I been this morning? The measure of peace enjoyed is the proportion to the grace you've accepted. Let me say it this way. The level of peace you're having right now is the level of how you've been appropriating grace right now. Peace is the byproduct. This phrase is used 16 times in the New Testament epistles. He's trying to get this through to your thick skull that grace has been provided, the resources of God is there, stop trying to do it yourself. Accept the atonement. Accept what he's done. Accept the finished work. Rest in the finished work. Put your faith in the word of God that's living and active and let it work in your behalf. Peace is the hallmark of the believer that cannot be matched by an unbeliever. In the Old Testament, Moses came before and and God says, well, you're sending me to deliver them. What are you going to send me because they're not going to believe me? Well, what do you got in your hand? A stick. Well, throw it down. He threw it down. It was a stick. I love scripture. And it says, and Moses ran from it. He He did flee. That's funny. And so he finally came back. Moses, come on. Get back here. Get. Stop hiding. Come on. Get back here. Grab it by its tail. And it became, he says, now go and perform that and then put your hand in there and then come down. Oh, Do those, you'll be good. So he went and, and, and so he said, let my people go. They said, well, why should we? Watch this. Huh. <laughs> and the magicians came in, they threw theirs down, they became snakes. Most... <laughs> but his snake ate all the other snakes. So he put in, uh-huh. and they didn't, uh-huh. He says, okay, plagues are going to start coming. First plague, the Nile into blood. Magicians, same thing, turn water into blood. Two or three of them, the magicians matched it. But it got to a place to where the magicians couldn't match them anymore. And where where in the world does it stop when the world can't match what you got? It's called true peace. They have a peace symbol. They can preach world peace, but they have no peace. There is no peace peace to the wicked, says the Lord. It's for you to walk in supernatural peace when everybody else around you is fearful. Everyone around you is freaked out. Everybody's upset about the the stock market. Everybody's upset about COVID. They're afraid of COVID. They're afraid of what's going on here and all the environment and everything's getting... But you walk in this supernatural peace. It's a miracle. It's a byproduct of the grace of God in your life. Manifesting peace is one of your greatest evangelistic tools you possess. 
Because when you walk in peace and when no one else can produce it, they'll say, what is it about you? Let me tell you about Jesus, the author and prince of peace. Usually Paul expresses thanksgiving at this point, but he stops and he goes right into the letter because he's angry. He's angry at what the Judaizers have done, and he's going to get right down to business at this point. Look at verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins, that's Jesus, gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Who gave himself for our sins? This brings us pregnant with meaning. Jesus said he gave himself for our sins. He gave himself up for death. That means no one took his life. He was not murdered, folks. Jesus said in his ministry, no man can take my life. I give it up freely and lay it down. And I can take it back up again. And so he was not murdered on the cross. Matter of fact, many times they came to get him. He'd walk right through the crowd. And he says, this time I'm just not going to do that. You can take me because this is my hour. I'm not going to do the walk through the crowd thing this time. I could. And he says, oh, to show you my power, I am. They all fall down. Get back up. Help, Peter, help them back up. They got to fulfill the will of my father. Who gave himself for our sins. This is God's command for husbands. This is husband language. That we're to give ourselves for our wives, our souls, and lay them down. God would not ask from us what he's not willing to do himself. Here that our heavenly husband completely gave all of himself up for us, the bride. For our sins. Mankind gives themselves trying to achieve their own righteousness. But Jesus had to come to give himself for our sins because man's righteousness are but filthy rags in the sight of God. And so the wages of sin is what? Death. Well, pastor, I mean, uh, one thing that we saw a lot where we went was cemeteries. They got a booming business. It's steady. It's kept right on. And every time I drove by one, I'll say, yeah, they're dying to get in. Well, pastor, if, if the wages of sin is death and they died, didn't they pay their penalty? Yeah. It's like a death row inmate who the judge says what you did is worthy of death. Your, your debt to society is death. So they lay the, the prisoner down on the gurney, stretch him out. They put the, the, the IVs in. They pump him full of the liquids. He dies. The judge comes in in his robes and says, now that you paid your debt to society, you can go free. Why does he not get up and go free? He paid his debt to society. Because he's dead. It's not hard. He's dead. He's held by death. He can't come out of death. That's the state of humanity. They paid the price, but they're locked in perpetual death because they have no power to get out of it. But it takes one person born free that will die the death of the criminal enter into death and have the power to come back out of it. And Jesus Christ said, I have the life, I have power to lay it down and I have power to raise it back up. 
as the second member of the Godhead. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. After our sin was dealt with, after he died, as our death, as the criminal that we were, our death sentence, the power of God raised him up out of death. And when we accept him as Lord and Savior, we come into life. That he might deliver us from this present evil age. Why might? Because Jesus died for everybody, but it's not automatically given to all people. Jesus became identified with humanity. I want you guys, this is towards the end. There's end in sight. Pay attention because this is important that you catch this. Jesus identified with humanity. What does identification mean? To become identical to. Well, first of all, the first step of becoming identified with humanity, becoming identical with humanity, is to take on, take on humanity. So Jesus took on a body, took on a soul, took on a human spirit. He became a human, fully human, on earth, and he was God. But he identified, but then he had to become fully identified with man, and on the cross he became sin. And at the cross, he fully identified with man, became identical to mankind. And no, one could, and no one made him do it. He chose to do it for every one of you. He chose. That was a choice that he was given. And Jesus in the garden said, not my will, but your will. I'm willing to do it. Even if it cuts me off from you, I'm willing to become identical to them, even in their sin. Not, to become, not because he sinned, but he became our sin. And then when he died, he rose again from the dead. And now, Tag, it's your turn. He, of his own choice, chose to identify and become identical with us. Now he says, will you become identified with me in resurrection? Will you believe that I was raised from the dead? Will you believe I died for you and raised from the dead? And when you put your faith, you, then your faith identifies with him. And then you become born again. You become identical with Jesus. You become, you have the identification of the resurrected Jesus. You become identical to Jesus. Is he righteous? So are you. Is he holy? So are you. As he is? When we get to heaven? Right now. And why did he do this? To deliver us from this present evil age. Say present. When was present present when he wrote this? When he wrote this, was it 2,000 years ago from here? Was it his day present? (laughs) So when did the evil age start? Well, when Jesus came, he was the light of the world. And wherever Jesus was, there was day. He says, I'm leaving, darkness is coming. And when Jesus left, there was darkness. And when he left... The evil age, the dark evil age that we're in now started. It didn't start with COVID, sweetheart. It didn't start a few days ago with wokeness. It started 2,000 years ago. And you know, things are really getting evil. Yeah, but they've been evil. And there's been more evil days in church history than this one. Are they burning you at the stake yet? Did they ask you, rare, medium, well done? (laughs) No, they haven't done that. Church period, they they were burning Christians at the stake. During the Middle Ages, if you owned scripture, or wrote down scripture, or believed anything that we believe today, you would be burned at the stake. That's pretty evil. 
But how was the evil age overcome? By individual believers being delivered out of it. And how do we get delivered out of this present evil age called the new birth? Called the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did the church overcome the Roman emperors that were doing every, killing Christians for breakfast, throwing them in the amphitheater for, for breakfast to the, to the lions? How did, that, how did they come out of that? By the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through evangelism. Winning soul after soul after soul. It's not chained to go in there. And the, they didn't change the Roman government. No, they went with the gospel called the Great Commission given to the church. And the church, like no other time, went out and every believer was light and they preached the gospel in one soul and created disciples. Imagine, matter of fact, so that the people in, like Paul in the, said when he was in prison, the people in Nero's family were getting saved. Matter of fact, what ended the early persecution of Christians is an emperor got born again called Constantine. Then the dark ages hit. Why was there dark ages? Because they hid the word of God away and none of the people could have it. And all the priests says, we can only interpret the word. They weren't even saved. And so there was no new birth preached. No word of God preached in their churches. And it's called the dark ages. What caused the dark ages to stop? When the Martin Luther came in and he started he started proclaiming because he started reading the Bible as a monk, he could read it. He started proclaiming it and then he started printing it and other like Wycliffe and Tyndale, they started preaching it and every person could get a copy and actually read the word of God, be educated with the word of God. That's when the enlightenment came and the devil had a false version, he always does, but there was a true enlightenment that came through the word of God. And then out of that came the 1700s and 1800s where evangelism and missionaries went around the world. That was the high, the zenith of the church until today. And what's happened in today in our churches, and let me tell you what Joanne and I saw when we went. We went to all these beautiful cities, these towns, and saw all these cathedrals with stained glass by Tiffany and everything else. It was beautiful and gorgeous to look at, but every single one of them out front had a gay pride flag, a Black Lives Matter flag. One had a, we need an 11th hour discussion on, on climate change. Another one says animal blessings. And let me tell you what happened. Why did we get there? Where did it come from? Because the churches stopped preaching the word of God. They stopped teaching the word of God. And when they stopped preaching and teaching the word of God, they forsook the great commission given to the church in the word of God. And they gave the great commission out. Jerry Williamson was here last week, and I hear he knocked it out of the park. He had God's great commission call. And what has the devil done? He's taken the great commission out of the church and left a void. Now we feel we have a call, but what is it? To change the government, change this, change law. There's some kind of call that we need to do. And I'm not saying it's, if you can, run for office, change it. Yes, we believe in voting. We have voter guides out here. We have, we have a cultural impact team. Get involved. Get involved. Be educated with what's happening today. But if this is all you do, you've missed it. 
Because this is not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is soul winning. And what the church today is doing is we're on the defense. And because we left a vacuum of the teaching and preaching of the Word of God in the churches, we, we've, we've, uh, we have the great, great omission instead of the great, or great commission. We have the great omission, and it's left a vacuum, and the devil said, I'll fill it. And he's filled it with his stuff. He's planted his works, and now we're bearing the fruit of it. And what he has us doing as the church, going around trying to get rid of the bad fruit. Right. Trying to put out fire here. Oh, God, look what he's doing over here. Let's, let's all mobilize and stop that. Oh, he's doing, oh, he's doing well, And we're going around putting fires out. And we're so busy being on the defensive, we've stopped being offensive. The call of the church has always been offensive. It's always been go forth with the gospel. Preach the gospel. He should be running around. Oh, no, he's out there preaching the gospel. Oh, he's trying to get them. Oh, Darren's out in the park preaching the gospel. He's having a crusade. Ah! (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. He has us running around. He's creating all the fires. And and the reason the bad fruit's here is because we allowed the vacuum and allowed him to plant it there. I'm not saying don't fight the bad fruit. But get to the root. What's going to change this nation? What's the power of God into salvation is the gospel of God. The preaching and teaching of the word of God in our churches is what we need. Rick, you sound mad. I am. I'm not mad at us. I'm, I'm mad at the devil. We need to wake up. Ask ourselves some hard questions. What am I doing in my part to fulfill the Great Commission? When's the last time I shared my faith with someone else? When's the last time I laid hands on somebody out there? Because you know what's going to win the woke world? It's the power of God. When people are healed and delivered and there's signs and wonders... And then we win them to the Lord, and they're going to, morality can't be legislated. It's a heart issue. And all we're going to do is be fighting leads. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm big on voting. We have voter guides. Get involved wherever you can. Do it. But if that's all you're doing, you've missed it. You've missed it. What are, what are we doing? Evangelism is a major thrust in this church. Outreach. Every week, every month, we go out on the streets. And I've asked myself, I'm asking, I'm not, I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. But I had to ask myself hard questions. And I said, well, Saturdays is my day off. I'm a pretty busy dude. Ministering to the saints constantly. And and I've arranged other people to have the outreaches. And the Lord says, no, you're the head. And I I repent that I have not led. From now on, when we have outreaches, I'm out there. Now, I'm not here to condemn you if you don't want to go out in the streets because let me do a little poll right here. It's going to get better. (laughs) Let me do a little poll here. 
Raise your hand if you got saved by a complete stranger coming out of nowhere, hit you with the gospel, you accepted Jesus, you didn't know who they were, they left, you didn't know who they were, but that's how you got saved. Raise your hand. Two people. How many got saved in a crusade? How many got saved on TV? You heard TV, the preacher on TV, you got saved off a TV broadcast. Two, three. Raise your hand if you got saved by a relative or a friend or some form of relationship. Look around. Yeah, you may not be called to radical evangelism. And I'm not putting that burden on you. But you are called to your family and your workplace. And to that neighbor you've never met. We all have relationships where God put us be salt and light and if every one of us if every Christian would do their job we wouldn't have to legislate morality because we get to plant the root of the kingdom of God and the embassy of the kingdom of God what's happening today is our fault not not you the churches it's our fault it's the vacuum we left because we won't preach and teach the word of God in our churches and we've forsaken the Great Commission. Not here in this church. And I'm going to lead. Are you with me? Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that the church would wake up. Stop being defensive trying to put out all the fires and trying to pull all the bad fruit that was created from what Satan planted there because we gave it to him. We created the vacuum that he planted his works in. Lord, I thank you for helping us. Lord, reach our neighbors, reach our coworkers with the gospel. That we not sit afraid and fearful of what people say about us. But we, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, grace to you that we have the grace and power of God to share our testimony, share our faith with a coworker, with a family member, with a waitress, with the people around us. We would not be afraid to lay hands on when we see a sick person. Can I pray for you? God wants to heal you. Do you know Jesus Christ? Father, we all have a part to play. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship God. So when Pastor Rick was, was talking about our part in this great commission, some of you felt a spark. And the Lord, um, what he showed me was he's, he's standing there and he's waiting with this gas can. And you don't have to sustain the spark if you will give him your heart and your yes he'll pour the gasoline on that and he'll cause that spark to become a fire and it is not something that you have to do or maintain um, he just wants your obedience he will pour on the grace he will give you the faith to do this but he is asking you today for your yes to what Pastor Rick said. 
And so I just want to encourage you, let Jesus pour that gas on that spark today and watch, watch him set you on fire. Amen. The Lord wants you to know that he's not interested in your ability. He's interested in your availability. That when you're with someone, you feel stirring in your heart to witness to them, to pray for them. Whatever is needed, the Holy Spirit will let you know and will work through you to minister to that person and bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So your homework this week, get before the Lord, what's my part in the Great Commission? What's my part? What, what co-worker can I invite to a coffee or lunch? Get to know them. What family member can I share my testimony with? What, can, I reach, can I introduce myself to my neighbor and at least say, hey, I live next door? Maybe it's supporting a ministry that's soul winning. We support Mario Murillo Ministries. You know what I like about Mario Murillo's ministries is when we had a gathering of church pastors for that crusade that we had, he said, you know why I got in the political realm? I got in the political realm because that's where the souls are. There's a harvest field there. Because there's people that aren't even saved that are worried about where the country's going. They have fundamental morality. I, I got involved because there was, a, there was an unreached people group. Maybe your part is to get involved in politics. Don't forget the gospel. Why are you there? It's for souls. He died for souls. The power's in the gospel. Let's vote. Let's get involved. But ask the Lord, what's my part in the Great Commission? Because you have one. 